All right. This is a, a strange day we live in. Uh, these are unprecedented times, and uh, but we do have the te- this technology to uh, be able to come into your living room or whatever room you're in. And um, I, I think you ought to keep your schedule on Sunday so you don't get too lazy. I'm trying to do that. And um, just as we come together, bring your Bible out, bring the family around, uh, grab your cup of tea and coffee or coffee and whatever drink you have, and sit down and let's uh, pay attention to the Word of God. I am going to continue to do Second Peter. Uh, Khalif opened it up last week and gave some good foundation for what's happening uh, in the world, and uh, the, we need not to worry, but just to trust the Lord. And so this morning, I just want to get right back into Second Peter, and uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to that, and uh, we'll continue to move through this text in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 9, looking at the believer's responsibility for godly living. But before I do that, let me open in prayer. Father, this morning, as we come before you, um, we come in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we come to the Word of God, your Word. And Lord, as we open up the Word of God, we know it's the Word of the King. So I pray, Lord, as your subjects, we would come before you as our King and pay divine attention to what it says in the text. Holy Spirit, we ask you to impress it upon our hearts, make it serious to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and evaluate ourselves to whether these things, these particular qualities are actually present in our life. And if they're not, Lord, I pray that we would uh, do the needed adjustments that need to take place in our heart and our minds so we can uh, practice them and we can pursue them. Uh, If they're not there at all, Lord, then that's a real problem. It could be that um, someone is not converted at all. Uh, They don't even care about the things of God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, just do what you have to do today uh, for your people. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at 2 Peter I've been saying uh, that the Christian has been given everything in our text, verse 3, in order to grow in godliness. We already saw what God has done, and now we are looking at what the Christian uh, is to do, that we are to take the human side of salvation very seriously. We are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit uh, as he is transforming us into the image of Christ, as he's using the word of God to transform our minds so we would know the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And so that is the Christian goal. That is the ultimate goal of God. That should be our goal. So we Christians must add to what God has given us. We must increase in it. We must proceed to grow in it and add to our faith seven qualities that we've been looking at in our text. And of course, of the seven qualities we are grow, to grow in, there are two foundational qualities and five directional qualities. Uh, just by way of review, that these qualities help form the image of Christ in our Christian character. So these qualities really deserve our utmost effort 
uh, and diligence in making sure that we're continually growing in these qualities. We never really arrive at any one of these qualities. We're always going to be growing in them because we have, humanly, we fall short of them, and so therefore we are to be growing in them. So the, the, by, just by way of view, the, the first pr- the pursuit that we are to increase in is to two foundational qualities, which in verse number five is that we are to add supply to our faith moral excellence, and then to add to our faith knowledge. And of course, that knowledge is the knowledge we have of God, of, of God's holy character. The knowledge that we have been uh, given has been given to us about God's plan of redemption. And of course, the knowledge that we have been given by God about what's going to happen in the future. So we're to pursue these and grow in them and our understanding of them. And then the pursuit, secondly, uh, of increasing in the five directional qualities. We have looked at several already. We are to add to our faith in verse number six, uh, self-control. And then we are to add also steadfastness or perseverance. And the perseverance, the very term there, gives the believer the heads up that the Christian life will have difficulties, it will have troubles, it will have valleys and trials, it will also have victories, and it will have battles. Well, right now, in the state that we're in, uh, in the world with this uh, virus, we are really going through a difficult time. There's going to be all kinds of difficulties that come into our life. It could be uh, just emotional difficulties, it could be financial difficulties, it could be just fear of the future, of what's going to happen, because we don't know but God has the future in his hands. And so it will not be a smooth road into the kingdom of God. And God already told us that. He tells us that all over the word of God. So the assumption here is that walking on the path of perseverance develops in us a strong faith. And it leads to godliness. And of course, that is the next one. We are to add to our faith godliness. I did this last time. And, of course, godliness is an activity in our life, a life of reverential worship, of attitudes that please God, of actions that please God. We are actually living with the consciousness uh, that we live before the eyes of God, and therefore we regard God in our thoughts, in our decisions, and our desire to want to obey him. And the opposite of this lifestyle is corruption. It is um, a lifestyle of the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh. So if you are following and practicing sound doctrine, that is the truth, will always lead to a godly life, a holy life. Just like it says in Titus chapter 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. So there are several attitudes and actions recorded in Scripture to help us understand godliness just by way of review. It is a walking with God. It is an obedience towards God. It is a godly person trains themselves in the diligent pursuit of godliness. Of course, it is also a godly person doesn't just have a form of godliness, but uh, 
they're the real deal. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.5, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. A truly godly person is not to be avoided. They are actually to be followed and intimidated, or excuse me, uh, imitated. And an ungodly person is to be completely avoided. And of course here, we, we see that False teachers, uh, not only in Second in Peter, but also in Timothy, are to be avoided because they have been morphed. The word, the, the, actually the root of the Greek word, they have been formed or shaped by false teaching. And as a result of this shaping, they only have an outward form of a mere appearance of godliness. Their heart is unchanged. And they have no desire for a holy or a godly life. In fact, they act religious, uh, but they reject the power that could actually make them godly. The Bible says to, about them to stay away from those kind of people. Don't be influenced though, those, by those kind of people. Uh, someone could, as I said last time, have the right... Uh, they could look right, they can speak right, they can have everything that seems right, but that does not guarantee that they are speaking the truth unless you know the Word of God to be able to test out what they're saying and not only what they are saying, but what they're not saying and then run everything that they do say through the grid of Scripture, uh, then you may not know what is influencing you. So we should not estimate truth in terms of results or popularity, or crowds, or movements, which come and go. We are to study people's lives, as well as their words. And if they don't line up, we are to watch out for them. We are to stay away from them. So a godly person is really not controlled or directed by trends, by novel teachings, by high-profile people, by popularity, by money, by the lust of the flesh, or the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. A godly person is controlled by God's Word, loves God's Word, and desires to do God's will because he knows the Word of God. So this Lord's Day... We'll take a look at the last two of the five directional qualities. Now, godliness has really two directions. Duty towards God. Godliness godliness always worships God and gives him his due. And then also there is the duty towards man. That godliness always correctly serves God his fellow man, and gives them their due. So when you are growing in godliness in your heart toward God, you grow to a place where you are becoming dead to your sin, dead to yourself, and so then you take, start taking notice, you start paying attention to other people, and you start developing a brotherly affection for them. So true salvation changes our relationship with God because one's belief in Christ brings us into the family of God, which makes God 
our Father. We discover in the Word of God that God's method to bring us from sin to a holy life is first to make us know that God loves His children, and because of their belief in Christ, their sins are blotted out, and God's children's consciences have been purged from the guilt of sin by the offering of Jesus Christ, and therefore they are washed and made clean with the blood of Christ. We know that, and that encourages us to continue on to follow the Lord in his strength, participating in the divine nature. Now that we have been reconciled to God and born into the family of God, we desire to love and to serve God. And so true service for God must not proceed at all from the hope of reward, even though the Bible teaches us that there will be reward, or the fear of punishment, but only of love, because love does cast out fear. The love of God casts out fear. And as we grow in holiness, as we grow in godliness, our affections for God become more inflamed toward him, and our love for the desire of the flesh and the world grow less and less as we are inclined to love God more and more. So at this point of growth, we are readied to do something that we really never knew how to do before. And that is, as a cleansed and purified person, we are to grow in our vertical relationship with God, and that vertical relationship with God spills over into our horizontal relationship with others. So you are probably asking, as I mentioned last time, what is, was it, what is it that we never really knew how to do before? Well, it is right here in our text. Uh, you and I really never knew how to genuinely love one another. And you can guess the next quality that you're to add to your faith under the title of the believer's responsibility for godly living. And it's found in our verse, verse number seven, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So you're to add to your faith diligently brotherly kindness. It is the word, the Greek word, we get the word, it's the word phileo, which we get the, the word Philadelphia from, which means affection for a fellow believer or a fellow member. And because God has raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your trust can be in God, your faith can rest in God alone, and now you can really have love for everyone in the household of faith first. So we are able to add to our faith brotherly kindness because we are cleansed and purified. We are cleansed and purified people that can live it out in our daily lives. In other words, we can genuinely love others because we have been cleansed from selfishness and from hatred and from prejudice, along with all the other defilements of the sinful heart. 
We've been cleansed also from worldliness, that we don't look at people in a worldly, uh, cultural, or politically driven view of people. We, we reject those things because of what we see God is doing in our heart. So if you have been cleansed and purified as a Christian, believing in Christ, you will have your hope fixed on the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will grow in godliness and moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance, and you will revere God, and you will mature in love for God and fellow believers if you are not cleansed and purified, there will be no evidence of the former. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 1, the Apostle Peter said, This is now, beloved, the second letter that I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So in other words, he is referring to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, the apostle already offered teaching on the qualities of biblical love. And so take your Bibles and just turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22, and he gives actually three biblical qualities of love. He says in verse number 22 of chapter 1, the first quality he gives is that He says here, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. So the first thing he says is that this love that God's been given has given to us is a sincere love. It's the truthfulness of a new kind of love. Again, the word for love here being phileo means the brethren, love for the brethren. This brotherly love is to be honest, it is to be pure, it is to be unfouled, uh, it is to be absent from carnal and worldly motives. It's sincere. And you know when things are sincere in a person. There's there's no uh, trying to figure them out, is that they're just coming across as who they are because God's making them that way. And then also in verse number 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it's a fervent love. There's an intensity to this new love. A Christ-like sacrificial love, actually the term used here is agape, it moves to another Greek word to describe a deeper kind of love. It is a love that Christ displays towards the church in sacrificing himself for his own children. It is a love that stretches out and extends its effort to the limit. So God calls us to love with all our strength. And when we do, we'll keep on forgiving. We'll find ways to settle privately the wrongs of others, the wrongs that others do against us. We'll reach out to people, no matter how deeply they have fallen, we won't hold their past sins against them. We'll help them to try to build a better life and a better future. This fervent love 
This is the kind that we actually owe our brothers and sisters in Christ because we know Christ first loved us. So we share brotherly love because we are all related to Christ. We share godly love because we belong to God. This is another attribute of the character of God that we can actually live out. There's a third thing that's mentioned in verse 22, and that it is this, that our love is a a deep love. It's a love that comes from a, it says here, a purified soul or a purified heart. That it is a love that, that is constant. It's deeply felt from a heart that is now being, has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. A heart that is new. It, it is not a heart that pretends or acts like an actor on stage. So we should get the sense that it is something that we have to work hard at. We have to love that will manifest in our words and our deeds and our thinking. It's it is impossible to love the truth and hate the brethren. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 14, the Bible says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And then he says this, We know that we have passed from death, passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So the source of all love in Scripture is God, that God dwells in us, and God's love is perfected in us. So that means anyone claiming to know God and failing to show love to other believers, it can only mean that that person is just deceiving themselves. Again, in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, it says, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, the Bible clearly says that person is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So it shows that we are children of God. But if we lack love to God, we also lack love to the brethren or to God's church. So the question that we really have to ask ourselves today is, do we love our other brothers and sisters in Christ? And can that be proven? Do you manifest it to others? See, the church of the living God is to be known for people loving one another. That means, do you desire to spend time with other believers? Do you invite them to your home for a meal? Maybe you can't do it right now, but do you do that? Do you plan to do that? Do you minister to them when you see a need that is clear to you? Do you pray for them on a regular basis, not only privately but corporately when you come together? And do you actually care for them? See, 
the world cannot argue with or easily dismiss observable love. It's an attraction. There's something very attractive about and, and even beautiful about practicing observable love in the visible church. I came across a story that I thought was uh, pertinent to, to, to relate to you. It was about a religious minister uh, who once wrecked off the coast of Ireland. And almost destitute of clothing, he wandered to the home of a clergyman. And this clergyman was quite wary and somewhat cold and incredulous. He suddenly asked the man, how many commandments are there? Thinking that he can detect an imposter, maybe somebody who was trying to get over on him. The man says, I can at once satisfy you. I'm not an ignorant imposter that you take me for. There are 11 commandments, he said. No, was the searing comment. There are 10 commandments in my Bible. Tell me the 11th and I will give you all the help that you need. And the man said to him, there it is right in the Bible. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, hence the 11th commandment. Of course, that is not necessarily the 11th commandment, but it is the outflow of all the commandments, the greatest, the two great commandments, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is the outflow of a relationship with God. So if we are called out to practice visible godliness, we show forth the holiness of God. We could be sound in our practice of doctrine. If we are called out, a called out group of believers, and practice visible love, we actually show forth the love of God. The love of God through us to others and we would be sound in our practice in the community where we would display to others the love of God that he has displayed to us. It was William Barclay who wrote in one of his books where he, called, he titled the chapter, How to Regard Our Brother Man. And he said this, we may regard our brother man as negligible, meaning we make our plans without including them. We may live with the assumption that his or her needs or sorrows and welfare and salvation has nothing to do with us. So do you live as if your world, uh, no one matters except yourself? He also says you may regard your brother man as w with contempt that we may treat them as a fool in comparison with other intellectual attainments, as one whose opinions are, on, are just brushed aside when spoken. Others always look to you less useful. 
He also said that we may regard our brother man as a nuisance. We may regard those who are weaker or less fortunate or underprivileged or those in poverty or in sickness as mere nuisances. If we act in any of these ways, we are not showing the love of God. Or we may even regard, he said, our brother man as an enemy. We may regard all our brothers and sisters as potential competitors to be defeated and therefore potential enemies. And a lot of times, sometimes that's what happens in the Christian life. There's, it's more of a competition. Who can be better than someone else than it is to actually love someone? I heard a person say, I read it, uh, that love is not blind. It sees more, not less. But because it sees more, it is willing to see less. So love within the local church is vital because our relationship with God has brought us into this new visible community of brothers and sisters. On the earthly level, we all have come from different families with their different ethnic, racial, and social connections. However, on a spiritual level, level we have a new identity. We are more than a community. We are more than a gathering of people. We are a family. We are in the family of God. God, we have the same Father. We have the same Lord. In the true church, love must be dominated by the characteristic of the love we have in our relationships. It is hard to separate The next quality that we are to add to our faith because it is so closely connected with the one I just mentioned. But here in Scripture, it makes uh, Scripture makes a difference uh, in in the Greek words where it says in back in in Second Peter of chapter one that we are now to add to brotherly kindness, love. Brotherly kindness is the Greek word phileo. This next word, this last word, this crowning quality is the word agape, which is the word for godly love. It's a higher type of love. It is a love that is all-absorbing and completely dominates one's whole being. It is a word used in the New Testament to describe the deep abiding affection of God and Christ for each other and for us, his children, The word actually expresses the Trinitarian love that has always existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it is this particular love that we are to participate in the divine nature. So we are to add to our faith this crowning quality of love because We are partakers of the divine nature. We are to diligently commit to a life that is growing in agape love. The biblical love that has its origin in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Scripture, the Bible tells us that the love of God has been initiated by God the Father, where it says in 1 John 4, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
And what did he do? Here's his demonstration of love. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That love also was demonstrated by God the Son, where it says in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. And what did he do? He gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And then, of course, that love is poured out by God, the Holy Spirit, where it says in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we are to live this love because of the new birth. This love has, as we have seen, a divine origin. And according to Jesus, in the Gospel of John, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. In John 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's pretty clear. Maybe there's no greater opportunity in our life than to love one another during these times. You know of somebody right now who's alone, has no friends, has no uh, family, and that they're, they're sitting in their home, uh, they can't go anywhere. Maybe you need to call them, and you need to get in contact with them. There's brethren in our church are, could be in that situation too, or they got bad news. Maybe they contracted the virus, and now they have to go through the whole process just to call them, send them a card, uh, contact them through email, through the social media uh, opportunities that we have to contact pretty much anybody any time of the day and let them know that at least we're thinking about them. I used to have somebody who used to write a prayer on an index card and take a a Photoshop a, a picture of it and then send it in, in a, a text or and it would just say, say I, listen, I prayed for you today and this is what I prayed. And, and so there's a lot of creative ways that we can just let people know that we're loving them by actions. That's one thing about agape love. It's, it's an action word. You can't get away from that taking a, a cup of cold water to someone, taking a meal to someone, writing a card to them, picking them up, taking to them to the doctors. All those things are the good works that God has ordained for us, but we sometimes don't think that is enough or, or it's not big enough. You know what? It's the little things. It is the little things that show that we love other people. Just one word can encourage someone for a long time. See, the world will know that Christians are indeed Christians and are intimately connected with Christ if they love one another. So how are you doing? How are you growing in this biblical kind of love? Love is the badge and the character of Christianity. A Christian may advance in many, many areas of their Christian life. 
but without growth in the most important Christian distinctive, that is being one who loves, it profits nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And when love begins to diminish, it shows. When it begins to grow cold, it shows. Because sin will increasingly manifest itself and we will look more and more unlike Jesus when we diminish in the agape kind of love, the brotherly affection that we should have for one another. And how will that look? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll lose patience easily with people. We'll, we'll begin to be unkind to them. We will start envying them, showing bitterness toward them, ignoring them. We will defend ourselves when we're confronted with our lack of love by someone. We'll be less courteous and more rude. We will actually start trampling on the rights of other people. We'll become very easily angered We'll start finding fault with people when we don't display biblical love. Projects will become more important than people. We'll be unwilling to even confront them when we see something wrong in them because we really don't love them. We don't want to tell them they're doing something that they should not be doing as a believer. That's really showing that we don't love them. And we'll be just unconcerned for people we surely won't be concerned for the lost around us. So those growing in Jesus' kind of love will not only say loving words, but they also will do loving deeds just as he did. It is the direction of your life to honor and love God and love and honor your neighbor. If you claim to be a Christian, but don't even like people and other Christians. Your claim to be a Christian and have fellowship with Christ is a bogus claim. It is not genuine or real whatsoever. Now, looking back at verse number 7, where it says, In your godliness brotherly kindness, and we're adding to our, our faith, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. See, the Christian faith is not limited to just the initial conversion experience. It was intended to grow and to mature. First John says we grow as babies, then we grow to be young men who learn how to use the word of God and even fight against the, the lies and deceptions of the enemy. And then we grow to be spiritual fathers where we just learn every day to live by faith and trust God. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstances come along, we just learn to trust God. That's the goal. It's the goal is spiritual maturity. So the believer's responsibility for godly living leads somewhere. And I want you to notice in verse number 8, there's a goal. There is a goal for increasing in these qualities. And what is the goal? Well, there is a conditional nature in the goal. And if you notice in verse number 8, it says, For if, 
these qualities are yours and are increasing. Let me just stop there for a minute. This conditional nature, this, this little word if, is really important for us to understand here. And let me just... Let me just uh, explain a little bit about the nature of this conditional if. A condition is, is not necessarily true, but could be true. For example, if I were to say to you, if it is raining, there must be clouds in the sky. Well, that would be a true statement. But if I were to say to you, if there are clouds in the sky, it must be raining. Well, that is patently false, because there can be clouds in the sky and not necessarily be raining. So if, if is fulfilled, then there is, if I say if, then there is a then. Then it is true. Thus, if you put your hand in the fire, you'll get burned. Is saying that if you fulfill the conditions, the consequences will be true. So conditional statements refer to the portrayal of reality rather than the reality itself. It assumes something to be true for the sake of argument. This literary device can actually function as a tool of persuasion, and that's what I believe Peter is doing here. He's persuading his audience, he's persuading his listeners that if you are in possession of these qualities, these seven qualities, in other words, if they're at work in your life, so if these qualities are at work in your life, then there is a result that will occur. If you meet the conditions, there is a result that will occur. On the other hand, if these qualities are not at work in your life, then there is also a result that will occur. So he is saying if you are continually increasing in these seven qualities, or eight qualities, some people have numbered it, including faith, if these qualities are more and more apparent in your thoughts, in your words and actions, then there is a result that will occur. And what is the result? Well, look at verse number 8. The more useful you will be. Look what it says in verse number 8. For if these qualities are yours, that means you have possession of them, and are increasing they will render you neither useless. That means you will be useful. So the, the basis for this growth in these virtues of the Holy Spirit is your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That knowing Christ, both in conversion, also in a life of sanctification, which produces really in us a harvest of right living including all these qualities that we're growing in all at the same time. Where James says it like this, but someone may say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Or another way of saying it in James, but you are willing to recognize, oh foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. 
So in other words, he's saying you will be useful as you are increasing in these qualities. You will be useful to God. You will be useful to the brethren. You will be useful to the world if you grow in these qualities and they are yours. And then a second thing he says that you will be, in verse number 8, you will, be, you will not be unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you will be more productive. The more productive you will be. And I don't know any Christian who would say, I don't want to be useful. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to bear any fruit. No, I know anybody's growing in the Lord, who loves the Lord, who's in the Word of God. They want to be useful. They want to do something for Christ. They want to be productive. They want to be productive, too, to see the, their fruit, the fruit in their own life. They want to see it. They, they don't want to keep going on day after day and not see something in their life. So the Bible is saying, listen, here's the goal, to be useful and to be productive for Christ. And you're only useful and productive based on your growing knowledge and relationship of Jesus Christ, as it says in verse number 8. It, it cannot be apart from that. So I'm developing my relationship, my understanding, my knowledge of Christ as I'm cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God and I'm diligently putting these virtues into practice, these qualities into practice every single day. Then from this day forward, if you will put strenuous effort into growing in these seven qualities and continue to increase in them until the day you leave the earth, then, then there is a promise to us that you will, and I'll look at that more next week, that you will not be unproductive in your Christian life, in verse number 8, that you will not be spiritually short-sighted, that you will not be forgetting what you have learned as a disciple of Christ, that you will not be falling on your face spiritually, that you will be sure of your election and being chosen by God, and you will have, you will make it, matter of fact, you will have a grand entrance into the kingdom of God. See, that is the promise, that is the goal that God is bringing us to, and it is a worthy goal. It is a legitimate pursuit. If you say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in my Christian life. This is it right here. This is what's supposed to be happening. You let God take care of the rest. You work on this. This is our responsibility. And so this is a legitimate pursuit to give your time and effort to in order to be godly. So all these qualities, all these qualities should appear in your life as you grow in godliness. Now, what is the verdict? If these qualities are not increasing in your daily growth in Christ-likeness? Well, we're going to look at that next time. But this morning, I'm going to leave it there and ask you to look at your own life, examine yourself, to see where you're at in the faith. And this morning, whatever you have heard that you need to change, so these qualities are evident 
You can be brought into a Christian court of law and be, be convicted on these qualities. I pray that if that is the case, examine yourself honestly and then come before the Lord and ask the Lord to continue to develop you in these qualities. And if you don't see them there, then come to the Lord and ask him to show you what you need to do next. And I'm going to look at that next week. What if you are not increasing in these qualities, then what? We're going to see that next week. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I thank you for an opportunity to bring the word of God to your people. I pray, Lord, as we all are dealing with this uh, unusual event in our world, we also know, Lord, that it's really, uh, you have been telling all us these things for a long time, uh, that there would be wars and rumors of wars, that there'd be earthquakes and pestilence. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, during this time, we would really seize the opportunity with family, with friends, with neighbors, to, to just show and develop and grow in these qualities, especially, Lord, these crowning qualities of brotherly affection and love. And through us, Holy Spirit, please display to others the love of Christ so we can ultimately get them, bring to them the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they can come to know Christ, become a real believer, come into the family of God and, and be saved and born again. And we pray this today in your most holy, precious name. Amen.